Everyone else, let's take our Bibles and go to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. Just where we left off last time, Mark chapter 4. I got to turn there myself here. All right, I did not plan this. It just happened this way. But in the passage we're going to look at today, we're going to see some clarification of what may be your favorite Thanksgiving hymn. It's, there's a verse of your favorite Thanksgiving hymn that comes right out of the passage in Mark today. And uh, this particular hymn was in the choir's um, medley this morning. They didn't sing the verse of the song that is found here in, the, in this chapter of Mark. And actually, uh, in studying this passage, new light was shed on this particular song. I'm not going to spoil it. I'm going to let you find it when we read it. But new light was shed on this song that uh, gave it for me a much richer meaning than I originally thought that it had. So give some credit to the hymn writers and the people who made this hymn Probably one of the most recognizable Thanksgiving hymns. I will say, and I said this before, I think we probably don't give Thanksgiving enough uh, focus. And Thanksgiving, like every national holiday, it's got its baggage, okay? So Christmas somehow went from being about the birth of Jesus to a obese man who sneaks into your house at night and gives you stuff. And, uh, you know... Easter went from being about the death and resurrection of Jesus to a bunny who lays eggs, and I don't know why. Uh, and Thanksgiving, too. I mean, Thanksgiving, what is Thanksgiving? Well, Thanksgiving is we eat way too much, and we watch football, right? Especially for those of us in Michigan, we look forward to a Lions game every Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, and I think that, you know, being close to Christmas is probably part of the reason Thanksgiving doesn't get enough credit, but I also don't think like, we don't have too many songs that are like Thanksgiving carols, okay? Christmas has a bunch of songs that you literally can only sing at Christmas time. Like, they're like reserved for that time. And I understand some of you are listening to Christmas songs year-round. There's something wrong with you, okay? <laughs> it's, like, it's like those songs are reserved for that holiday. And I think Thanksgiving is like maybe three of those, and really you can sing them anytime. I don't know what you'd have to do to make a song only for Thanksgiving, though, because we're supposed to be giving thanks at all times. And the closest we get is to, to write hymns that are uh, about the harvest, which a few of our hymns even today were, and that's certainly something that we should be thankful for. I digress. Here we are, Mark chapter 4. Now, um, last week we started into uh, this section of Mark in chapter 4 that is a collection of Jesus' teachings. And really, there's... In my opinion, probably only two lengthy passages in Mark that focus on Jesus' teaching. Now, if you compare Mark to the other two similar Gospels, Matthew's account and Luke's account, Matthew and Luke both record lots of Jesus' teachings. You're going to see tons of words in red. You're going to see whole chapters and chapters upon chapters that are almost exclusively the words of Christ and his teachings. And Mark seems more interested in Jesus' actions than he is uh, in, in Jesus' teachings. And they, they often have said, haven't they, that actions speak louder than words. So in Mark, we're going to see a lot of Jesus' actions, but here, Mark compiles, in the middle of a narrative about Jesus teaching his opponents, Mark compiles for us several of Jesus' parables. 
I think it's unlikely that all these parables were preached in the same homily, but Mark has condensed a few parables of Jesus together because they all share a common theme. And the common theme that all the parables in Mark 4 share is that they are all about the kingdom of God. Now, we talked early on in our study of the book of Mark, what is the kingdom of God? And certainly, uh, the most tangible aspect of the kingdom of God is there is coming a day where Jesus will return, and when he returns, he will establish his kingdom, his rule over all mankind. But there's another sense in which the kingdom is active today. There's another sense in which people can join the kingdom of God today. By putting their faith in Jesus Christ, by repenting of their sin and following after the Lord, their citizenship is changed. I'm no longer a citizen of this earth. Not really. I do have a United States passport, okay? But not really. My most real citizenship is in the kingdom of God. And I'm supposed to look different, and I'm supposed to sound different, I'm supposed to be different, because I am a member of another kingdom. I'm just a sojourner here. I'm just a pilgrim. Okay, there we go. Thanksgiving right there, the pilgrims. Okay, I'm just a pilgrim. That's a biblical word. I'm a pilgrim, a traveler here on this earth. But this world is not my destination, and it's not even where I belong. I have a belonging, a more significant belonging in the kingdom of God. So in that sense, the kingdom of God is now. So these parables are parables about the nature of the kingdom of God. So we spent last week in the Sunday morning morning service, we spent the entire time talking about one parable, and for good reason. It was a lengthy parable. It took about 20 verses uh, in the first parable. But there are three more in in this, maybe we'll call it a discourse, in this chapter And we're going to consider all three of them today. We're going to consider them together because they're all parables of the kingdom. Now, I've used the word parables several times, so I want to remind us what that means. A parable is a figure of speech. A parable is a tool that Jesus uses, and it serves two purposes. And we actually see both of those purposes right in Mark chapter 4. Parables can obscure truth. We talked about some of the reasons that Jesus would maybe want to obscure some of his teaching. We, we are clearly shown that one of the reasons is that Jesus had opponents who were present in the audience who would have killed him then and there for his teaching had he been more direct. So one of the reasons Jesus is obscuring his teaching could be uh, to delay his crucifixion, to delay his martyrdom. Uh, but there could be other reasons too, and we talked about that at length, but one purpose of parables is to obscure, but another purpose of these figures of speech is to illumine, to clarify. We talked about how parables are really an invitation for you to think deeply about the things of God. So, here we are. We're going to look at three parables together, very briefly, and we're going to answer that invitation. We're going to think deeply about the things of God. So here we are. Uh, We'll read the passage. Now remember, as we read this passage, uh, to keep an eye out for that Thanksgiving song. It it may be hard to catch because it's not the first verse that you know best, but it it is in one of our Thanksgiving songs. All right. Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 21. 
And he said unto them, Is a candle brought to be put under a bushel or under a bed, and not to be set on a candlestick? For there is nothing hid which shall not be manifested. Neither was anything kept secret, but that it should come abroad. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. And he said unto them, Take heed what ye hear. With what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you. And unto you that hear shall more be given. For he that hath, to him shall be given. And he that hath not, from him shall be taken even that which he hath. And he said, So is the kingdom of God, as if a man should cast seed into the ground, and should sleep, and rise night and day, and the seed should spring and grow up. He knoweth not how. For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. But when the fruit is brought forth, immediately he putteth in the sickle, because the harvest is come. And he said, Whereunto shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what comparison shall we compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when it is sown in the earth, is less than all the seeds that be in the earth. But when it is sown, it groweth up, and becometh greater than all herbs, and shooteth out great branches, so that the fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow of it. And with many such parables spake he the word unto them, as they were able to hear it. But without a parable spake he not unto them. And when they were alone, he expounded all things to his disciples. Let's pause for just a moment. We'll ask God's blessing on the reading of his word. Father, we are thankful for the revelation of Jesus Christ. We are thankful that you have taught us clearly and, and then so clearly illustrated the nature of the kingdom of God. Would our ears be inclined? Would our hearts be open to the truths you have for us this morning? Lord, if there is someone among us this morning who uh, does not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, who uh, has never received the free gift, who isn't part of the kingdom of God, Lord, would be today be that day of radical decision? Would they follow after Jesus and be redeemed? Lord, for those of us who know Christ, would our hearts be changed knowing the nature of your kingdom? Would we shine your light? Would we sow the seed? Would we trust you for the increase? Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so here we are. Parables of the kingdom. Let's talk about parable number one. The theme of this parable is this. The kingdom of God is offered to all. The kingdom of God is offered to all. This has been called the parable of the candle. My Bible uh, heads this parable off saying, set your candle on a candlestick. It is a parable of the candle. Let's look back at verse 21. He said unto them, is a candle brought to be put under a bushel or under a bed and not to be set on a candlestick? For there is nothing hid which shall not be manifested. Neither was anything kept secret but that it should come abroad. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. Let's talk about this candle for a moment. Now, Jesus is using an image that would have been instantly understood by his hearers because the candle that's mentioned here was a daily used tool in every household in the Holy Land at this time. This was extremely well understood. So let me explain to you how candles work. Now, you may have candles at your home. Some of you may even make candles. That is not the kind of candle that we're talking about here. Your candles are probably made of some kind of wax. Uh, this is actually, what, what's being discussed here is an oil lamp. So you'd have a dish of oil 
with a wick laid in that oil, and you'd light the wick, and as the wick burned down, it would burn the oil. And the main purpose of these candles, these oil lamps, was to give light. They didn't give enough heat to be worth anything. You wouldn't use them to heat your home. This was just so that you could see in the dark, whether that be at night or whether you were in a house with no windows um, or with the windows closed during the day to keep bugs or pests out. It could be very dark in your house, so you would have a lamp that you would burn. A very, very simple instrument that everybody could have at this time in history. Now, the point of this parable is that you would not light a lamp to give light to your home and then cover it up. What would the purpose of that be? How much good would your lamp be if you were wanting to light your home with it and you lit it and you're going to expend the oil to have it lit and then you cover it up so it doesn't give light to your house? It's nonsensical. This is the, the, the uh, form of this parable. But what does it mean? What is the candle? And I'll tell you, I've heard several interpretations and they're all similar but different. But actually, Mark gives us a clue. Uh, This is for all you Bible scholars out there. Mark gives us a clue as to what this candle truly represents. The other synoptics exclude from their mention of the parable of the candle. And that is this. Look back at the verse, verse 21. Now, your Bible says... And he said unto them, is a candle brought to be put under a bushel? And the word brought is not the word brought. The word brought is the word for to come. Now, when your translators translated your Bible, they probably thought candles don't go anywhere on their own. So the word should be brought. But the word is come. It says, when a candle comes, do you put it under a bushel? Now, what does go or come? People do. (laughs) What person could this be? Well, the candle must be Jesus Christ himself. Jesus is speaking about the nature of the kingdom. He's saying, I did not come to be put under a bushel. I did not come to shine my light so that I could be covered up. No, instead, I came to shine, to give light to the whole household, according to the parable here. The candle is a person. The candle is Jesus Christ. Jesus is not meant to be hid. Though we see in the life of Christ, His revelation at this time in history was gradual, which may have led to his disciples thinking, why all the secrecy? Why are we speaking in parables? Why are we not always saying exactly what we know to be true? Well, Jesus at this time in history, it was God's will that the revelation of Jesus in his life be gradual so that by the time he finally is blatantly saying that he is God, he's crucified. But Jesus is saying that that his coming was not meant to be covered. His coming was meant to be revealed. Jesus is meant to be known. The light of the person and of the kingdom of Jesus is meant to shine in a dark world. So what do we, what do, we do with this parable? Well, I think probably Jesus originally speaking this parable to his disciple is hinting at their future task 
of holding forth that light to the world. This would be their career for the rest of their lives. This is what they would do. But I think that the principle of Jesus being the light teaches us a lot as well. First of all, we have to remember and recognize Jesus and His message of the Gospel and His kingdom. It is light. What does light do? It reveals. Light reveals truth. Light exposes sin. And as He reveals, the light banishes darkness. Jesus, the light of Jesus, banishes the darkness of sin. It banishes the darkness of ignorance. It banishes the darkness of satanic power. And I'll tell you, the light of Jesus is the only thing that can. This is the uniqueness of Christ. A pure light that shines in darkness. And we have to remember and ascribe to Jesus, He is the source of the light. You are not the source of the light. There's no reason to brag or boast about how good you are or how kind you are or how different you are from all the people around you because any difference that's been made in your life was only because of the light of Christ. God forbid that we should boast in anything but our Savior. It's all of Him. I did not make me good. And I, by the way, I'm not all that good. But any good in me is not from me. At Thanksgiving time, I'm often reminded of the verse that says, um, every good and perfect gift comes from above. From who? Here we have the word light. From the Father of lights who never changes. Everything good that you have and everything good that you are is only because of Jesus. Don't be proud. Don't look down on your neighbor who has not yet believed in Christ, your neighbor who is stuck in their sin. Don't look down on them because any difference that's made in you was not yours. Jesus is the light. He has the power to make a difference in our lives and praise God for many of us, He has. Another thing that as I consider the nature of Jesus being the light, and this is the point of the parable, is that we are meant to set the light of Christ on the lampstand or the candlestick where it belongs. We're meant to set out the light of Christ so that it can illumine the world around us. Jesus says that the purpose for which he came was not so that he could be covered up. Jesus is not a secret. He's not for us for and no more. He is meant to be shared with the world. Church, we cannot be ashamed of Christ. What would you be ashamed for? Now I understand, many of you have been hurt because of your witness. You've shared Christ with somebody. They retaliated against you. They said some unkind things. They hurt your feelings. You know, maybe they even did some unkind things because they didn't like what you had to say. But all the more reason to show the light of Christ to them. That shouldn't deter you, it should show you their need. Don't be ashamed. Don't be silent. I think 
maybe some of us have gotten in a pattern when we're around our unsaved coworkers, when we're around our unsaved neighbors, when we're around people who don't know the Lord, that we've just gotten really good at not talking about it. And maybe they know that you're a Christian, and maybe they know that you're different, but they're happy as long as you don't talk about that Jesus stuff near them. I'll say, we cannot be silent. You've been given a light to take to the world. Jesus said he didn't come to be put under a bushel. So stop putting him under a bushel. We also have to remember as we think about Jesus as the light that we cannot be worldly. The light does not need a shade. We don't need a lampshade on the light of Christ. We don't need a filter on the light of Christ. You know, if you have a light and you can put a filter in it in front of it and the filter will change the color of that light. Jesus doesn't need a filter. He doesn't need a lampshade. He just needs to be shown. You don't have to butter up the gospel for people. Just tell them the truth. Because anytime you think you're buttering it up and making it a little bit more palatable, you're perverting that gospel. People need to hear it in its truest form. You are a sinner. You are separated from God by your sin. But Jesus Christ came to earth. He lived a perfect life. He died an excruciating death on the cross. He rose from the dead, and he did it to save you from your sin. That's the gospel. Don't change it. Don't sugarcoat it. Don't put a filter on the light. Don't put a lampshade on the light. Definitely don't cover up the light, but let it shine in a dark world. As we look at Jesus' teaching about the candle, we see that As this light shines, by some it will be received, and by some it will be rejected. Look at verse 24. He said unto them, Take heed what ye hear. With what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you. And to you that hear shall more be given. For he that hath to him shall be given. And he that hath not from him shall be taken away, even that which he hath. This is very closely related to the parable that we talked about last week. It talks about how the word is received. The seed is cast on many types of soil, and the different types of soil receive the word differently. Jesus teaches that those who hear and receive the word of the gospel will receive more. To him who has, more will be given. More understanding of the kingdom. Deeper teaching of who Jesus is. Deeper understanding of who Jesus is. But ultimately, the more that will be given to those who have is an inheritance in the kingdom of God. But those who do not receive by failure to hear, like the bad soil we talked about last week, they'll have little understanding. The things of God will be incomprehensible to them. And they will not have an inheritance in the kingdom of God. To those who have, more will be given to those who have not, even the little that they have, that little bit of understanding, the light that shines on them, trying to pierce through to their hearts, even that will be taken away one day. The opportunity to believe will be taken away. I often tell people, and I'll tell you now, that right now, this morning in our service, the gospel is being extended to you. An opportunity to believe is being extended to you. And this might be the last one. 
I'm not trying to scare you into believing. I'm not trying to scare you into making a decision for Christ. But I'm telling you that there will not always be opportunities. I tell you, there are a number of things that could stop the opportunity. I think one, the Holy Spirit might never knock on your heart again. Period. You could walk out today and have a heart attack, God forbid, in our parking lot. Well, no more opportunities after that. Any moment, right now, Jesus could return for his faithful. No more opportunities. I'm here telling you, I'm offering to you the light of Christ, and I'm telling you, if you receive, there is more. If you don't receive, there might not be another opportunity. This is the teaching of Jesus. So, uh, this light, Jesus teaches, it is received by some, it's rejected by some, and Jesus also teaches that there will be a day when this light is known by all. Verse 26, For there is nothing hid which shall not be manifested, neither was anything kept secret that it should come abroad. Jesus says, here's the motivation to let the light shine. Right now, people have an opportunity to believe. But one day, everyone will believe. Because one day when Jesus Christ returns to judge the world, there will be no denying who He is. At that time, it will be too late to repent of your sin. It will be too late to put your faith in Christ. Everything will be revealed, but too late. There is nothing hid that will not be manifest, Jesus teaches. He's pointing to uh, what in theology we call the parousia, the end when Jesus returns to establish his kingdom. The light is set on a pedestal for all to believe. Those who look to the light will be blessed. Those who refuse the light will be refused by it. One day, it will shine on every heart, some to judgment and some to eternal life. If this is totally foreign to you, and I know I'm, we're speaking in parables, I get that. But if you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, truly trusted in Him, for the forgiveness of your sin, for the salvation of your soul, please don't wait. I understand. It's the Sunday before Thanksgiving. You probably have something going on this afternoon. Maybe it's your family Thanksgiving. Maybe you have um, you know, a football game to watch or, or whatever. But I'm telling you, that can all wait. I, I hope you won't leave this building without knowing for absolutely certain that your sins are forgiven, that you're a part of the kingdom of God. I, I'm pleading with you God has called me to plead with you for your soul. Here is the light. I'm setting it up on the lampstand for you. It's up to you what you do with it now. So in this first parable, and this is the, we'll spend the most time on the first parable. We'll look at the other two. In this first parable, the kingdom is offered to all. In the second kingdom parable in this passage, the kingdom is grown by God. This is the parable. This, this parable has several names that people have given to it. I think probably the best one is the parable of the secret growth. The parable of the secret growth. And the interesting thing about the parable of the secret growth is that it's totally unique to Mark. Mark is the only gospel writer who records this parable. Verse 26, and he said, so is the kingdom of God, as if a man should cast seed into the ground and should sleep and rise night and day, 
and the seed should spring and grow up. He knoweth not how. For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, and after that the full corn in the ear. But when the fruit is brought forth, immediately he putteth in the sickle, because the harvest is come. Did you hear the Thanksgiving song? How many of you caught it? First the corn and then the ear, then the full corn shall appear. Something like that. I probably messed that up a little bit. But here it is. Oh, first the blade. The blade is first. This should actually remind you of the parable from last week. You can clearly see why Mark put these together in the same chapter. Uh, The sower sows the seed. That's exactly the same as the parable we talked about last week. And the seed, we talked about this at length, and I kind of jumped the gun because this is where Mark truly clarifies this for us. The seed of the gospel, when it is sown, by its very nature, will grow and bear fruit. So what is this talking about? And what is the song talking about? And I, like to, I want to give credit to the songwriters that they knew exactly what they were doing. I'm sure, I hope, that they looked up this verse in its context when they included it in our Thanksgiving song. What is it talking about? Now, this passage is not literally praising God for corn. Although corn is a great thing to praise God for. I love corn. I think... Uh, uh, you know, praising God for the food that we have, that's all wonderful. These are all things we should be thankful for at Thanksgiving season. But that's not what Mark is talking about. This isn't literal corn that God is making grow. The seed, just like in the previous parable, is the gospel of the kingdom. And those of us who know Christ are called to be sowers of that seed. We, we share the gospel with people who don't know. So this is the seed, but look what happens to the seed in this parable. When it is sown, it grows. And you'll notice the sower doesn't make it grow. The sower in this parable, and I know some of you who have worked in agriculture, you know that you know, there's a little bit more to it than this. Uh, but the, the sower sows the seed, and in this, he goes to sleep. And he wakes up and he does other stuff and he goes to sleep and he wakes up and does other stuff and he goes day to day to day. He doesn't really do anything. And all the while, the seed just grows. He didn't make it grow. There's a sense in which it grew all on its own because that's what the Gospel does. If, if the Gospel truly takes root in a person's heart, they will grow. But there's a sense in which God does that. God does that. And I've talked about this before, but I think there's some trepidation about sharing our faith with others because we're thinking, well, I'm not a very good speaker. Now you sound like Moses. Isn't that what Moses said? I'm not a very good speaker. Uh, I'm not very convincing. I really don't feel like I know as much about the Bible as some of my friends do. And they might ask me questions I don't know. And I might say it wrong. And if I say it wrong, well, is that person going to be confused forever because I said it wrong? And we act like saving people is our job. Saving people is not your job. Now, sharing the gospel, that's your job. That You've been commissioned to that. But the saving part, God does. You sow the seed, God makes it grow. God makes it take root. So don't put it all on yourself. 
Because either you won't ever share the gospel or you share the gospel and you beat yourself up forever about the people that you told about Jesus and they didn't believe and you'll feel like it's your fault. God is the one who makes that seed grow. That's why we call it the parable of the secret growth or the parable, maybe another word is the parable of the mysterious growth. Because the seed seems to be growing all on its own. All the sower did was sow. Now, some people have said, is this parable talking about the growth of an individual who comes to know Jesus, or is it talking about the kingdom of God as a whole? And there's actually a bit of a theological debate about what is being talked about. Is this about the whole kingdom of God, or is this about individuals? And I would say, yes. Because what is the kingdom of God if not Christ's rule in the hearts of individuals? That kingdom is not a building, though there is a place that is the kingdom of God, a place of his rule. But the kingdom is primarily the people over whom Jesus rules and reigns. So yes, this is talking both about the individuals who make up the kingdom, but the whole harvest of corn in this parable is the kingdom of God. It's God's job. You know, when when Peter uh, was commissioned by Christ and among the apostles to plant the church. And there's a lot of discussion about when, when uh, Jesus says, thou art Peter, and upon this rock will I build my church. Well, who is the rock? Is Peter the rock? Is the, um, the exclamation of Christ the rock? Is the exclamation of uh, uh, Peter the rock? Is Jesus the rock? And honestly, I had to write a paper about this in college, and, and, and that's not the point. Who the rock is is not the point of Jesus' statement. If you're not familiar with what I'm talking about, the statement is, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. The point is not who the rock is. The point is who's going to build the church. Who's going to build the kingdom of God? Who is going to cause that seed to take root and grow up and bear fruit? God is. It's a secret growth. It's a mysterious growth because God is doing it. So the kingdom is grown by God. When you see growth in your own life, praise God for that harvest. When you see growth in the kingdom of God, you see people coming to Christ and putting their faith in Him, praise God for the harvest. When we stand before God one day amongst a sea of the faithful redeemed, when we sing His praises with the millions who have truly believed, we will praise God for the harvest. You won't pat yourself on the back. You will cast your crowns of reward at the feet of the one who really did the work. So the kingdom, the first parable says that the kingdom is offered to all. The second parable says that the kingdom is grown by God. And the third brief parable teaches us that the kingdom is great. The kingdom is great. Verse 30. And he said, Whereunto shall we liken the kingdom of God, or with what comparison shall we compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when it is sown in the earth is less than all the seeds that be in the earth, but when it is sown, it groweth up 
and becometh greater than all the herbs, and shooteth out great branches so that the fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow of it. So the question at hand is, you have this tiny seed that's being sown. And I don't know how many of you are familiar with mustard seeds and how small they are. I mean, it's pretty similar to like a poppy seed. Very, very small. And if you know anything about mustard plants, which I really don't from experience, but do from reading, okay, mustard seeds can regularly grow to be 10 foot tall, uh, but some have been known to be 20 or 30 foot tall. That would be an exception. But it's like a, it's a very um, meaty kind of shrub that this grows to be. A whole lot bigger than that tiny seed that was sown. I mean, the idea is you have this tiny, tiny, almost imperceptible little thing, and after it grows up, I mean, it is taller than you. And the kingdom of God is like that tiny seed. You say, how could my feeble, little gospel witness in my workplace or with my family or with my neighbors, how could that make any real difference? I mean, things are not going to rise and fall on whether or, not I, or whether or not I share my faith. Well, Jesus is teaching that that little seed that's sown could grow to be much more than you could have ever imagined. And you think about, you know, aside from Pentecost, where there's a few thousand people gathered to hear the gospel, for the most part, in the early church, the gospel was shared person to person. You know, when Paul is going to preach to people, he's preaching to, like, most times groups this size are smaller. You know, sometimes there are bigger gatherings, but for the most part, the gospel was spread amongst very small groups or even individual to individual. But within a couple of generations, the Bible teaches us that the world was turned upside down for Christ, meaning that there were more people in the known world at that time who had heard the message than hadn't. Just because of a little seed that was sown. You think about the ministry of Christ. How could the message of a lowly carpenter-turned-rabbi from a little backwater town ministering in Galilee, which is kind of an uh, off-to-the-side part of the Roman Empire that nobody really thought about. How could this little seed grow into anything of consequence? Because God makes it grow. So the, the parable here is you have this tiny seed. It's the seed of the Gospel. But when it is sown, it grows up to the great kingdom of God. Don't allow yourself to be convinced that your witness doesn't matter. Don't allow yourself to be convinced that sharing Christ with a few people, I mean, could it really make that much difference in the world? Because God will do a work. And that little seed will be something much bigger than you would have expected. It grows into the kingdom of God. Verse 33, we get this summary and many such parables spake he, and with many such parables spake he the word unto them, as they were able to hear it. But without a parable spake he not unto them. And when they were alone, he expounded all things to his disciples. We see, and we're going to see, that as Jesus continues to teach and to demonstrate the kingdom to people, this light is going to grow brighter and brighter. And as he's spreading the seed, to those who will hear, the kingdom is going to grow stronger and bigger. And we're even going to see right here in the Gospel of Mark 
the work of God for his kingdom. Let me suggest to you something to be thankful for this Thanksgiving. Maybe this wasn't on your thankful for list before. Be thankful for the kingdom of God. The kingdom that Jesus preached is offered to all. It grows in man's heart by the power of God. First the blade, then the ear, then the full corn shall appear. And by God's power, this kingdom will be greater than any we could have imagined and than any kingdom that man could build. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful in this Thanksgiving season for the kingdom of God. We're thankful for the gospel that when it is sown, grows up into that kingdom. We're thankful that it is offered to all. Lord, I pray that if, again, there be anyone here who does not know Jesus Christ, whose citizenship is not in the kingdom of God, that today would be that day. But for those of us who are in that kingdom, would you help us to be thankful for it? Would we trust you as we faithfully serve and witness? Would we trust you for the results, knowing that the growth, the germination of the seed of the gospel is a work of God? Would we pray to you, recognizing that it all depends on you? Would we cast the cares of even our witness and the growth of the kingdom on you? Would we trust you for the results? Lord, as you do a work in our church, in our community, in the world around us, help us to recognize that kingdom work and to continue to praise your name for it because you are a great God. Pray in Jesus' name, amen.